Welcome back to Crown Conversations. I am here with the highly esteemed Cat Silverman, goalie whisperer, and goalie person to the stars, or whatever. I don't know. It sounded better in my head, Cat. Goalie. I, I don't even have a word for it. My, my brain's been operating at like a solid 40%. I think it, uh, we all say that the summer is like our time to, to recharge and, uh, I think instead it just makes us slow because um, as soon as like training camp hits, trying to get your brain back on preseason speed takes a while. And then once you hit preseason, getting it back on regular season speed, it just uh, it's going to take me another couple of weeks before I'm before I'm a competent person again when it comes to talking. <laughs> hello what is a competent person if you can find them please describe them to me because i don't know how to be one please send them to me i'll take (laughs) their advice um so arizona uh we'll make this quick because arizona and la do not see each other until november 18th it is very very far away six eh, weeks ish um it's a little bit wild to me i mean it's just so like the coyotes and the kings have almost swapped roles like uh la has (laughs) like five million dollars in cap space ish and the coyotes have just a shade under 300k like they have uh 279 723 dollars in cap space before the official start of the season when we are recording this um i mean it's it's just a little bit like whoa i didn't realize the coyotes were actually spending to the cap yeah they um it's it's one of those things that i know that uh the addition of owner alex morello um obviously contributed to it a lot um Give, I, I have to give credit to Andrew Barraway. I believe he's still a minority owner in the team right now. Um, he didn't have the full financial muscle power to permit the team to spend all the way to the cap and throw extra money at incentives and advertising and even potentially, you know, looking at a longer arena deal, looking at building one on the east side or downtown. Um that's something that Alex Morello has really been needed for. But but Andrew Barraway was the first one who was really able to tell the team, yes, give Oliver Ekman Larson a long-term extension making over a hometown discount. He's not making, he's not, you know, this isn't a Kyle Dubas situation where the players are making 10 or 11 million per, but, but OEL is at the very least making market value and he's making it long term. So he told the team, you know, it's okay to go ahead and commit this money to him. And then Alex Morello came in and the big thing was telling them, yes, I have the financial muscle power. Go ahead and bring in Phil Kessel because he's not cheap. And go ahead and bring in Carl Soderberg. He's effective, but he's he's a little on the pricier side for what he does. Saying, yes, go ahead and sign Clayton Keller to a long term deal as well. Um, so he's really been hugely instrumental in this team finally being a cap spender. And, and there are obviously still some major question marks in how that will obviously work out for them. I mean, if you look to the north, uh, Vancouver and Edmonton, I believe, are both cap teams right now. They're both spending to the ceiling, and neither of them are expected to really be playoff teams. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, 
So, so it's not a guarantee that doing that is going to, you know, immediately help the Coyotes win, but Phil Castle should at the very least bring in, let's be conservative and say 60 points. They didn't have a guy over 50 last year. So he's helping spend, which should help with winning, which should help tell fans, hey, it's worth it to get in your car and drive an hour and a half to get to the west side of town because you might actually see a good game. You're not going to see Kyle Chipcher and Mark Arcabello centering your top six lines anymore. You're going to see an actual NHL product. Arcabello! Arcabello, I have to bring him up in every podcast. <laughs> it's I written like... into my contract. <laughs> I just love calling him Marcobello. Um, Phil Kessel, that was a move nobody saw coming. But, it, okay, Phil Kessel, highly effective player. Not a spring chicken. He's 32. That that always surprises me. Um, and it kind of speaks to the fact that I'm not a spring chicken anymore either because <laughs> I uh, I remember him playing in Boston. You know? Oh, I, know. I To me, he's not 32 because to me, he's still like right in his prime years because I'm yeah. still right in my prime years. So I don't know how he can possibly be over 30. <laughs> but, but yeah, he, um, he's obviously aging. Um, and with that comes, I think, workload management more than anything else. But we saw last year, even he, and more so than last year, I would say, when the Penguins won their back-to-back Stanley Cups, that to me shows that even if Kessel needs some workload management just to offset general fatigue that comes from, you know, even if 32 is not old, but that's a lot of mileage for an NHL career. And there's there's no way to to try and get around that. Even if they do try to manage him so that he doesn't get too fatigued uh he played on the third line for a while in pittsburgh and still managed to put up phenomenal numbers just because offensively it's not about him having to muscle his way to the net it's about him being a very smart shooter and i think that that's something that the coyotes really haven't had is somebody who is is just gifted when it comes to shooting (laughs) And and so I think that even if he does take a slight step back, like I said, conservatively, I'll give him 60 points. That's that's a huge dip for him. And for the Coyotes, that's still an improvement. So it's even if he is on the decline, I think the team still made a net positive move there and a very necessary one. Yeah, and we've seen it before from other veterans that just because your birthday was 30 plus years ago. That doesn't mean that you're going to be any less of an effective player. Exactly. And even if they're able to, even if, even if they have to change their role up a little bit, uh, you know, even if Castle needs to be more of a playmaker, which is an underrated part of his game. Don't get me wrong. I think he, I think he's already a tremendous playmaker, but even if he does need to, you know, limit his minutes a little bit, play on the lower lines here and there, maybe maybe get managed a little bit better when it comes to that. I think that's not necessarily going to take away his overall efficacy. And 
almost more so than his performance, although that's going to be huge, um, his leadership and not just being good in the locker room because you can find guys with AHL talent that are phenomenal in the locker room. It's not, you don't have to be the most talented guy to be that locker room voice. But since getting to Arizona, I think that the spotlight being off him a little bit, uh, the expectations being not that he'll win them a Stanley Cup, although that would be very nice, but that he'll just help them improve and help them grow. I think he's he's thriving in that role, and he's being a little bit more vocal than we saw in Pittsburgh and Toronto and Boston. He's being he's able to help out his teammates, especially the younger ones. He hasn't really been in that clear veteran presence role before with the team and on Monday the team had practice at Gila River and it was one of their longer practices they got Sunday off they got today off as well Um, he stayed out there after the majority of the team had gone in he stayed out with Rick Tockett Clayton Keller and Nick Schmaltz and just worked on power play scenarios with them he's a big scenario guy he likes to talk about you know if this happens Here's what you can do in this situation. Here's what you can do in that one. And he stayed out there after he very easily could have been the first one off the ice as a veteran. He stayed out beyond practice just to help out some of the younger guys. So I think that that part of his presence can't really be understated either. And based on what I saw, he kind of, or he really actually did want to be in Arizona, right? I mean, because his uh, no-move clause or his no-trade clause, wh- whichever one it was, um, he essentially kind of backed the Penguins into a corner where he put teams that they would never, in under any circumstances, basically, trade him there. And he ended up exactly where he wanted to be, which was Arizona. And I think that Part of that, uh, we I think that we do have to uh, give Arizona credit for capitalizing on if that proposed situation is indeed fully true. Uh, that's also, you know, kind of shame on the the Penguins for backing themselves into that corner by refusing to trade with certain teams. <laughs> but putting, you know, putting that aside, uh, he he did want to be in Arizona and he did all but admit that when obviously he's not going to say, yeah, I, I, you know, I gamed the system and I used my no trade clause to submit a trade list that was going to send me to Arizona. Uh, But he did say that he, I think his exact quote was that he felt like his time was nearing an end in Pittsburgh. He felt like he was reaching sort of the end of his, that point in his journey and he looked around the league to see where a good landing might be where where a good fit might be in Arizona really stood out to him as a place where he wanted to be because he liked where the team was at this point he liked where they looked like they'd be in the next you know two to five years and he thought that it would be a good fit for him so so yeah I think that that's that's huge for Arizona to have a player of his caliber say that. I think that's huge. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the future, Nick Merkley, Christian Fisher, um, any potential for old friend Hudson Fashing? Uh, that's a funny one. I 
during training camp, I actually pointed him out and I forget who I was sitting with, but I said, man, what happened to Hudson Fashing? He, uh, wasn't he in the NHL at one point? And he's still pretty young. So I'm not entirely sure how he fizzled out. Um, I believe that the, the first call-ups will obviously be Chris, Christian Fisher because he's going to be immediately called back up. Um, I wouldn't count out. I think, I think it depends on whether somebody else isn't performing well temporarily or if there's a long-term injury. Um, I think that Michael Bunting is a player that they very much want to get another look at at the NHL level. He um, he got called up during their big injury spree last year where I think something like 40 to 50% of their forward core were out. And so they had Mario Kempe come up, Connor Garland come up, uh, Michael Bunting came up, somebody else came up with them just because they didn't have the bodies anymore. Um, and he did a really good job in an energy role, um, really made a case for himself during training camp, during preseason, was one of the last ones to get sent down. Merkley, I definitely think, is one of the first ones to come up. I was kind of surprised that he didn't get a longer look um, up at the NHL level uh, during preseason. I'm not entirely sure on fashioning, just because I'm not entirely sure what role he's going to play down in Tucson this year. Um, but more so when it comes to their future, I think that Kyle Capobianco is, is the name to look out for, and he's on defense. Um, so obviously they currently have their top six set in terms of their NHL defensive pairings. Um, Ilya Labushkin would arguably be their seventh defender. Um, but I think that Kyle Capobianco, as soon as there's an injury, would be the one to come back up. Um, and if it weren't for, you know, a season-ending injury for him last year, I think he would have gotten a longer look at the NHL level. So that's, that's the name that I'd put money on. So the, the future does look pretty bright in Phoenix then. Yeah, it's, uh, I think that as corny as it sounds, I think more so the future is now. Um, it, as I said that, I cringed. I cringed like deep down inside. <laughs> but uh, because a lot of their future, so to speak, is already on the NHL roster, that would be Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, Christian Fisher, Christian Dvorak, um, Connor Garland, Jacob Chikrin, uh, Lawson Krauss, Vinny Hinestroza, you can even still consider. I think he's only 25, maybe 26. Um, you know, a lot of their quote-unquote future is already on the NHL roster. So these guys that I mentioned down in Tucson are all supplementary players. They don't have, they're not like, like Colorado has Martin Kaut. I believe he's down in the AHL to start out the season. That's a name that we should be seeing at the NHL level in a very big role in the next couple years. Uh, they're, you know, every once in a while you see a, cat, a guy who could be a big name in the future who's down in the AHL and every once in a while you see I want to say it was the 16-17 Toronto Marlies, maybe the 17-18, where it's basically an NHL roster of young kids playing down in the AHL. That's not necessarily the case in Tucson this year, but it's not looking dark, that's for sure. They don't, they don't have a depleted system, which is nice because they seem to get hurt all the time. I don't know what it is, but the Arizona Coyotes are always injured. So, 
That was actually going to be my next question. Are they carrying <laughs> three goalies because they're terrified of all their goalies breaking yet yes. again? Yes. Don't quote me on that, <laughs> listeners. But yeah. Um, no, I think they they more or less insinuated that it's to give Auntie Ranta a little bit of breathing room so he's not immediately jumping back into playing a tandem system with Darcy Kemper because you don't really want to ruin Darcy Kemper either you know you don't want to start him in 90% of the games to start the year and not start Kemper and not start Ronta excuse me at all while he gets used to practices so you have to play Ronta too you have to play Ronta and Kemper and the tandem that you hope but you don't want to overload him immediately after essentially 10 months of inaction by also having him work heavily during practices. So I think that having that third goalie is insurance policy. That way, you know, if he does need some extra rest, you have someone there for practice. If he does have a day-to-day nagging, because coming back from major knee surgery, that's not easy. You know, he may need, he may be day-to-day here and there while they have rest days, just just getting his body back into, you know, peak performance shape after a year off. Um, so having Eric Comrie there helps with those practices, with the workload management, with making sure that they don't overload Ronta and break him again. And that way, if Kemper gets hurt, God forbid, I mean, I think he got hurt a few times for shorter terms last year, but he was hurt as well. You know, you just, you have a third goaltender and you don't have to worry about Aiden Hill spending a lot of his time being shuttled up and down and sitting on the bench when he could be getting in those reps at the AHL level during what's essentially his final waiver exempt season. So it's, once again, it's just that roster maximization. It's making sure that you're putting everyone in the best position to succeed. And even even for Comrie, it could be a good thing. I know that the team's been high on him for a while. They've been looking at a way to acquire him. And this gives them a chance to take a look at him closer. You know, they, they aren't watching him in Winnipeg. They aren't sending scouts to, you know, sort of keep an eye on him during games. They're actually getting to talk to him and coach him and run through scenarios with him so they can see if he's someone that they would want to have long-term in some role. Is there any chance that they would do kind of a, um, instead of a tandem, maybe at least to start out the year, they kind of do like a little bit of a revolving door to get Comrie in some games, Darcy in some games, uh, all while they're keeping an eye on Auntie Ranta just so that they don't break anybody. Oh, I think that if they need to, they will. I think that that's why they did pick Comrie and they didn't just, you know, claim somebody else off of waivers that they could have sitting on the bench. And basically, instead of, you know, claiming a pure practice goalie, they claimed a guy that they're very high on, um, just in case they do need to do that. Um, But I, I don't necessarily know if they plan on creating a true three goaltender system. Just because that's really hard to manage, I think. Making sure that you don't leave the guys sitting for too long. Making sure that you don't bounce back and forth between them too much without letting them get into a good rhythm. I think that having the two goaltenders playing is really the optimal way to do it. But 
I, I wouldn't count out the possibility that you see Comrie in a game or two. No. Okay, just a couple more questions before we wrap this up. Um, Arizona was predicted by Evolving Wild to kind of finish uh, towards the bottom of the league yet again. Uh, you know this team pretty well. I mean, you you obviously cover them. If they can stay healthy this year, what do you think are their chances of actually making the playoffs or at least finishing higher than probably fourth or fifth in the in the division? I so I mean this with no disrespect to the the brilliant minds of Evolving Wild, um, but using war as an accurate predictor of where a team will finish, I think is not necessarily the best way to go about things. Um, Not just because it paints the Coyotes in a poor light, but because I think that it really doesn't, I don't think it paints anyone necessarily in the most accurate light. So I, I don't take a ton of stock in what their prediction was to put it as nicely as possible. Um, as as much as I, I value some of their work, that is not one of their, their metrics that I necessarily think holds a lot of stock. Um, that being said, I think that, uh, like you said, the Coyotes would have to stay healthy. I think that a lot of things have to go right for the Coyotes to really be a playoff team. I think that they have to be healthy. They have to see... Clayton Keller, who was largely healthy last year uh, and still underperformed with with all the injuries around him. Um, I think they need to see him take a step forward. They need to see whether the rest of the team is injured or not, that he can, you know, bounce back from a 47-point season closer to that 65-point rookie year. They need to see that when he is healthy, we'll obviously hope that that's always, but when he's healthy, that Antti Ranta can win them all the games. Last year, he he looked like he needed to get his feet under him a little bit after really sort of, you know, being injured for half of the season the year prior. I think he started off this year a little sluggish as well. Um, I think they need to see Oliver Ekman Larson both stay healthy and be consistent from start to finish. I think they need to see Christian Dvorak, once again, a guy who needs to stay healthy, but also I need to see offensive production from him. Nick Schmaltz, we need to see that his intro with the team wasn't an anomaly last year. He he put up a lot of good numbers to start things off, but we need to see that that wasn't wasn't a mistake, so to speak. So I think things do need to go right, but in theory, yes, I think they're a playoff team. Or at the very least, a bubble team, right? I, I would say that even if things don't necessarily go right for them, they're still a bubble team. Because that's, really, that's what happened last year, is they... I, I think almost nothing went right last year when you look at it. And they were still, I mean, they were eliminated from the playoffs in game 81. So I think that's about as good as you can look at things. That's that's the epitome of a bubble team right there. Uh, and they, they had injuries to almost every player on their starting roster by the end of the year. So, so yeah, I think uh, even if they're not... Uh, not as healthy as they could be. I think they're still a bubble team regardless. I think the bottom of the league finished the 70, what, 76 points that they've been predicted with. I think that's that's a misinformed metric. But uh, 
I do think that if things go right for them, they're they're a confident playoff team. That's really good to hear. Um, I have been rooting for the Coyotes. It, it it pains me to say this, especially after 2012. And and it's weird to say that because like you know, obviously the Kings won in in 2012, but that that five game series against Arizona was just like it was a really intense series. Um, anyway, so I, I'm rooting for Arizona. I'm, I'm rooting for everybody to like be healthy and just have a fun season and stop punching each other. Goodness sake. It's funny. I, uh, I think that a lot of people by the end of last year were really rooting for the Coyotes. Even fans of teams that weren't necessarily supposed to be rooting for them. To put it nicely, <laughs> like I think there there were even a couple Oilers fans that I have on my on my Twitter that you know follow me and interact with me regularly, and I think even they by that point were rooting just because for a team that could have seen the wheels fall off so quickly, they started off the season getting shut out in three of their four games. That was horrendous. They you know they saw injuries to something like twelve or thirteen players on their roster by the end of the year, and not just small day-to-day things but like substantial weeks at a time injuries and they still managed to stay just unflinchingly optimistic and so I think a lot of people saw that and they saw how happy not just the team was with the winning but the fan base and even if you know even the people who like to make fun of them for not showing up to games I think at that point they were like oh how can we how can we not be happy for these fans? They've dealt with so much and they're finally getting to watch, you know, a legitimate playoff chase. And so it's kind of a heartbreaker for a lot of people to see them not make the playoffs, but, but yeah, if they stay healthy, they don't punch people. (laughs) All the punching's going on up in San Jose anyway. That's that's a topic for another day. Uh, Yeah. I talked to a a Vegas fan about that. That was, that's that's always fun. Um, anyway, so you've got some some big stars on the Coyotes, uh, but who's somebody that really nobody knows about, or somebody who just really flies under the radar? Under the radar? Hmm. Oh, that's a tricky question. Um, I think it's it's funny because I think that the player who does the most quiet work, other than I'd say the two quietest players in terms of just quiet efficacy on the ice. You know, they're not putting up huge stats, but they're not putting up negative stats either. They're just quietly the glue players on their lines um, would be Lawson Krause and Nick Jalmerson. And neither of them I really consider to be under the radar because, I mean, Jalmerson was very beloved in Chicago before he got traded for Connor Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Lawson Kraus ate a worm during his draft day. So I, I don't know if we can really consider him under the radar at any point. So aside from them, I'd say maybe maybe Christian Dvorak. I think uh, it's hard to confidently say that because we didn't get to see much of him last year. But when you look back at you know him playing for Team USA at the World Juniors, and when you look back at him playing for the London Knights he played with Max Domi and Mitch Marner and he was the quiet player who got things done 
And the other two on his line were pretty flashy, and Max Domi's a bit of a bit of a crap disturber, if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> um, Mitch Marner is obviously someone who's very comfortable with the spotlight. Christian Dvorak <laughs> kind of wasn't. Christian Dvorak's kind of the quiet guy in the background. Um, and so so I'll go with him as my answer. Christian Dvorak, yeah, I would I would say that makes sense. Um, I mean, because a lot of people do know Lawson Krauss from his junior days. Um, and right. of I course, think he had butted someone during during his junior playoffs. <laughs> funded, so. Well, I forget who he was on a line with, but there was always a big debate surrounding Lawson Krauss and if he was actually good. You know how hockey Twitter gets, and and everybody's always right on Twitter. Exactly. He's. I think he's a kid who maybe maybe got touted as being a little bit higher than he should have been um, because he does have the size, and he, he has a relative amount of grace and a little bit of speed to his game for his size. Um, but he's not... A huge, you know, he's not Jamie Ben. He's not a huge offensive power forward, um, but he's not really a fighter or a bruiser either. He's he's a guy who can play a quiet, effective two-way game that occasionally has some offense to it. And I think that people were hoping that he would either be Jamie Ben or the next big bruiser, and unfortunately, he is neither. So. I think that just the two high hopes that people had for him were already polarizing. And uh, when you add in that the two hopes that people had for him were not him to begin with, I think uh, he kind of got an unfair shake there. But but he's he's fun. And he's even though a lot of people do know him, I think that not enough people really know know him because uh, he's, he's probably one of the nicest coyotes. Um, not that they're not all incredibly nice people, but he's he's always quick to to give a good, thoughtful answer about things. And, you know, if nobody else is willing to talk about something, he will. And I forget which, I think it was the Shane Doan retirement ceremony. I think he scored during that game and was totally game to just talk about Doan during his own interview, during a game that was statistically phenomenal for him, you know. So... Well, I root for him too, but like you said, I I think he's fairly well known, so we can't call him under the radar. It's disingenuous. <laughs> known at least in name, if it's inaccurate. Mm-hmm. I mean, his reputation, like his his reputation, is inaccurate to who he actually is. But just because of his profile and his draft ranking or his draft position, whatever, uh, people are familiar with the name at least. But the, I don't think that a lot of people are probably quite as familiar as Christian, as familiar with Christian Dvorak. Like they'll be like, I don't know, sounds familiar, but like they, if you ask them which team he played for, you'd probably get like a lot of blank stares. Yeah, that's actually, that's that's probably true at this point. Uh, although if people want to read about him, they can go to my article at The Athletic. There's there you plug. go. That's my plug for myself here. <laughs> um, one more question and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, Brad Richardson, our old friend, he seems to have really found a home over there being the kind of 
token veteran player in Arizona. Yeah, he's really made a role for himself as the team's veteran shit disturber. <laughs> is is really what he is. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about him. He obviously had a phenomenal year last year, statistically too, and that that counts for something. But uh, he also he really helped me out with a piece that I wrote on being uh, on the antagonists on teams, being the new enforcers. Uh, I, I took a look last year at how teams are having the Brendan Gallagher's, the Andrew Shaw's, the Brad Marchands, and the Brad Richardson's and Nick Cousins of, of hockey rather than the John Scott's and uh, the Michael Haley's, although apparently he has signed a deal this year somewhere, so good luck to New York. Um, but <laughs> Brad Richardson, because I asked a couple of the guys that are known for being antagonists and known for being a little scrappy, I asked him about it and Lawson Krause said that he likes to deliver a well-placed hit uh, or just really sort of show like use his body to protect the puck and play a little physical but he tries not to to drop the gloves too often and then Nick Cousins likes to get his stick and sort of bother people um, but he's not super vocal on the ice all the time uh, Brad Richardson really likes to mess with people. I like, noticed. Nick Cousins will say something to them, but Brad Richardson will, like, flip their stick away from them when they're not holding it tight enough, and then he'll just skate away. He'll start to mess with, like, he'll mess with his opponents during the face-off, and you'll see him talking to them. You'll see him lipping off. This really gets under the other team's skin. And then laughs about it afterwards. Like you can watch him <laughs> skating away laughing, uh, which obviously makes him even angrier. So that's that's his biggest, like that's his center stage. He's done a good <laughs> job as a veteran presence, and he's done a pretty decent job as both an offensive forward and a penalty killer. You know, he's managed to play a really good two-way game, but being the the guy that just drives the other team bonkers, that is that is his that's going on his gravestone one day. Somehow he manages to do it without really taking too many penalties, which is the most impressive thing for me. And like when you think he of watches. he watches he's even <laughs> talked about it. He watches he watches for when the refs aren't looking and that's when he says things or when he flips sticks away and and he doesn't do anything cheap. Like, he doesn't wait until refs are looking away and deliver a headshot. So he's not being unsafe. The refs aren't going to start, you know, keeping an eye out for him. Because what can they do? You know, they skate away while he's lipping off. What could they do by staying there? But, but yeah. Um, he's any, any Kings fans that want to tune into some Coyotes games should watch. Brad Richardson in particular because he's once once you know what he's doing and you continue to watch it it's even funnier yeah we we've seen him he really gets up for games against his old teams and LA in particular so it seems like he scores at least two to three goals in the in the season against LA at least. And he usually somehow manages to draw a penalty while he's over there like 
mouthing off against the other players. And he just mm-hmm. ir- he just irritates all of like the old veteran players who know him, who have known him for so long. Like he irritates them to no end, especially Drew Doughty. And <laughs> I mean, it's not easy. I mean, sorry. I mean, it's not difficult to piss off Drew Doughty. Like anybody knows that. But it's it's a little bit. It, it's it's a little bit amusing and a little bit frustrating to watch this guy as he watch kind of Brad Richardson turn into an art form. Yeah, I mean, he just kind of clowns around, and you're like, "Ugh, hate you." <laughs> yeah, he's a he's the master. He um because because cousins, you know, he's he was the other one on the team who really liked to get other players angry, and sometimes we would we'd see them all coming after him and we'd see the back of his helmet moving and we knew that he was talking and we couldn't see what he was saying, but we were like, oh, whatever he's saying, they're all coming. Uh, And even he, like even Cousins, conceded like the crown to Brad Richardson. He was like, "I'm, I'm good, he's better. He's infinitely better. And Christian Fisher, he was like, yeah, talk to Richie. He's our best. Lawson Krause, he was like, yeah. I can I can be tough, but if you really want to bother the other team, take them off their game. Just send just send Brad Richardson out there. So, well, mad props to Brad Richardson for figuring out his role. I mean, at thirty four, he's he's still highly useful. He is, and I think it's I think it's that. Uh, well, when you figure out how to piss everyone else off on the ice <laughs> at thirty four, that's. That's a delight. All right. So one final question for you, Kat. Uh, Any predictions for the Coyotes this year? I mean, it can be about their season. It can be anything about them. Um, So the Athletics Outdoor Coyotes beat writer Craig Morgan did a piece where the Athletic basically asked every team to have one of their beat writers come up with 10 bold predictions for the season. And Craig hates doing those. He hates listicles, but he had to do it. And I laughed at him for it. I was like, ha, I hate him too. Enjoy. And he was like, I have nine. I don't have a 10th. What should I do? And so I gave him mine and I'll give it to you too. Uh, My bold prediction is that Darcy Kemper and Auntie Ronta will combine to win the William Jennings trophy which is Ooh. the trophy awarded to the goaltender or goaltenders who allow the fewest goals in the regular season. Yes, we've won it a couple of times. Well, we. Yeah. I, I had nothing to do with yeah. it. But. <laughs> Tell me more about Jonathan Quick winning the Jennings. Go right ahead. Can't I was wait. just going to say the Kings have won it twice. Not that it actually yeah. means anything. It means everything. <laughs> oh, I'm it's sorry. Only I forgot I was speaking the- to a goalie. I think it's the only trophy that Corey Crawford's won on his own. But Kat, why are goalies magic? Because we're weird. Okay. We've we've shed all of our self conscious all of our self consciousness and that that allows the magic to, to to seep in. But yeah, that's my bold prediction right there for this year's uh William Jennings coming to the desert this year. Okay. I like it. I hope it comes true. Mostly because it's going to piss everybody off. Oh, it'll make people furious. You know who it's, you know what? I'll, I'll end on this note. You know who it's going to make the maddest? 
Mike Who? Smith. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I can't uh, wait. I well, thanks wait. for joining me, Kat. Uh, sometime in the future, we're going to have to talk Aiden Hill versus Cal Peterson. That's always a fun thing to, oh, to get I'm up for. Oh, I'm ready for that one. Yes. All right. Well, thanks again for joining me. And uh, you have a great night. You as well. Thank you. Once again, I'd like to thank Kat Silverman for joining me today. She is an incredible goalie whisperer and goalie understander person. On our next episode of Crown Conversations, I will be joined by fellow JFTC writer Demetrius Herrera featuring our rapid reactions to the Calgary and Vancouver games. So look for that coming up soon.